so today's kind of a special Sunday. Um, Emily and I are uh, going to preach the second part of the marriage sermon next week because today we have a very special guest in the house. Um, as, you, as you know, as you know, uh, joining our team officially in January, but, um, and, and he's starting a sabbatical with his family, uh, October, November, December, but there was one Sunday before he started his rest and rejuvenation that we wanted to make him work a little. <laughs> no. So we asked him, like, hey, dude, would it be, you know, like, a blessing to you if you came and preached on a Sunday? He was like, absolutely. So... Um, we are so excited to have Tim here. Um, so excited for him joining the team coming in January as the preaching and vision pastor. So excited for them to be able to rest for those three months. It's been seven and a half years since they've really had any kind of uh, real a long period of rest and for them to get acclimated. God has provided a home for them, which we are so thankful for. Uh, because of your generosity, they even got you know new appliances. I, I told you last week they didn't have any appliances. Thank you for stepping Thank up, you. church and participating in that. Um, before Tim preaches, I just thought it would be fun if maybe I asked him a few questions. Okay, just a couple. So just easy questions. Your mic's working, right? It is. Okay. Um, number one. Is that one of the questions? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> number two. I'm killing it. <laughs> Can you tell us something that maybe you and your family are looking forward to in this coming season? Maybe it has to do with church. Maybe it has to do with the city. Maybe it has to do with your new house. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I think God has taught us over the years, like living in L.A. for 10 years, London for five years, you know, what it means to grow and be passionate for Jesus in a very transient city. And I think we're really looking forward to learning those same lessons, but in a season of rootedness, like really just putting down roots. We just feel so ready for that. We feel called to that. And we're so looking forward to not just like you know, these quick changes of seasons, but really like putting down roots as a family and just learning to follow Jesus and be just as passionate in that and just settling in and like doing life together and partnership. Like we view church ministry as partnership with our church family. And we're just so looking forward to that. Meeting some of you guys in advance has just been incredible for us and how you blessed us. And yeah, we just um, feel really overwhelmed and like humbled by your generosity and how you guys have welcomed us. Even though many of you don't know us, you have treated us like family already, and we're just you know, super grateful yeah. for that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next question. Um, how specifically, okay, get out your phones, take notes. Okay, God, I don't want to ask this question if we can't follow it up with action. Um, how specifically can we be praying for you and your family in this season, specifically these next few months as you guys are like transitioning in? Yeah, well, first of all, as Dom said, uh, God answer our, our prayers, and we found a place, and it, we only looked at one place, and they just gave it to us straight away, and we move in on Thursday, so we're like, I'm so excited about that, so thank you for praying 
Um, can please continue to pray practically, like the right schools. It's just chaos right now of us trying to transition our kids out of schools in London to schools here. So prayer for all the practical things. A little bit deeper than that, relationally, just to be honest, prayer for friends. You know, that we know that can't be manufactured. It's something that God orchestrates. So just praying for like really good, close, um, you know, friendships and just how we can really live on mission. Like I know for my wife and I, we really want to take ownership in wherever we live, but that takes, that takes time. And, and then on probably the deepest level, as we have this sabbatical season, which we're so thankful for is we just feel like this whole year, I'm sure like many of you, we just haven't been able to really process everything. Like even making the decision and then COVID happens and then it's just, you know, chaos for us the last like four months in London. So I think this is going to be a season of deep reflection and just healing and strengthening and just renewing and paying attention to the things that we otherwise maybe haven't been paying attention to. So we would just ask for your prayers that the Holy Spirit would really, you know, minister to us on a very deep level, uh, not just for my wife and I, but for my kids as well. So the kind of practical, relational, spiritual um, yeah, that'd be amazing. Awesome. And then, as you all know, uh, Tim and Lindsay, their family and a team there, planted a church in London, which is, uh, most people say, impossible to do, honestly, and then led that church for the last several years. So Tim, coming here means that he was leaving somewhere else, and as excited as we are, uh, that same level of like kind of grieving <laughs> happened on the other end, even though God has provided greatly through a guy named Bijan to take Tim's position there in London. But we still want to like, there, there's needs there that we need to pray for. And so we just want to know how can we be in this season praying for Reality Church London? Yeah, well, four or five or X amount of days before we got on a plane, we were waiting for Bijan's visa to get approved and everything was delayed because it's 2020, but his visa got approved like five days before we left. And that was one of my prayers, like, Lord, please, I don't want to get on a plane and have that be up in the air. And so um, his visa was approved, which is amazing, but they're not going to be able to move till um, the end of November. And in London, things are still really strict. Um, so church is still online, like can't do this. Also, the weather it's a thing in London. Um, we were seeing all these pictures of like California churches meeting outside. We're like, yeah, that's never going to happen in England. Um, maybe one time a year. It's called summer. Um, happens on a particular day. We don't know what day. Um, so just prayer that that transition would really go well. Um, it's already gone well. I'm so proud of the church and how they've received Bijan and his wife, Michelle, and their little daughter, Esme, from New York already. But please continue to pray over the next few months. It's going to be so vital because transition can be an opportunity for temptation or transformation, depending on how we respond. And I know some people will use the transition season as an opportunity to kind of disconnect from the church, especially in this time in London. But let's pray for transformation, that people would be more committed, more involved, more stuck in than they ever have, even, even earlier in the year. That would be um, fantastic if you prayed for the church in that way. We will indeed. Okay, last little one. Oh, gosh. Before, before you preach, can you maybe just for fun give us your best British accent? Okay, so <laughs> you know what? I know you asked me a few minutes ago, but I don't think I can. What? Because I'll be disowned <laughs> by our British people and my family would be mortified. But the one accent I can do is a very exaggerated posh accent. Please. Oh, Dominic, it's lovely to have you here. Come over here. You're miles away. Come. Come over here. It'd be lovely. Tim Chaddock, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, friends, we're just so thrilled 
to be here and just all the ways in which God has provided for us to be here. We're so grateful and we've already said it and I know my wife would say it. We just feel so welcome and loved and how God's orchestrated everything. We're just incredibly thrilled to be here and just to, to start this, this next season of life together. And when Dom asked me to, to come and preach and you guys were diving back into Ephesians, talking about what it means to be a kingdom family, um, I wanted to choose a text that's a throwback text from earlier in the book of Ephesians, but one in which I think will help us frame how we face this current season and possibly tie together all the different lessons you're learning about now. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter four, and I'm going to be reading um, verses one through 16. And uh, if you're new with us this morning, you don't have a Bible, you can literally Google Ephesians chapter four, NIV, because I'll be reading from the NIV. And um, we're gonna be looking at this passage together. I am gonna be reading out of that translation. So Ephesians chapter four, we wanna talk about why maturity matters now for this season. So Ephesians chapter four, let me read verses one to 16 and let me pray for our time together this morning. Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse one. The apostle Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that every person here matters to you. Every person joining us online matters to you. Every person in Ventura County matters to you. And we pray that you would speak into our lives in such a way that we are changed by it. May your spirit work identifying the areas in which we need to grow, we need to learn, we need to be strengthened. 
For those who do not yet know you, I pray that today they would come to know who you are and what you have done for them and how they can begin a relationship with you even today. And for those who have fallen away, would you bring them back today? Holy Spirit, would you work in our time? Would we be at attention as you speak to us now? We invite you. As we open your word, would you open our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, the cliche is tired, but it's true. Everyone grows old, but not everyone grows up. I'm sure many of us have known that person who never grew up. It could be a sibling, a a brother, or a sister who's just never gotten their life together, or maybe even a parent who's actually more immature than their children. It happens. Maybe a friend who has rejected all responsibility. We've seen signs in them of immaturity. It's very easy to see it in other people. But here's my question this morning. Do we notice it in ourselves? Do we see it in our own lives? What if we were the immature ones? What if I was the immature one? As Dominic mentioned, over seven and a half years ago, I was given a sabbatical season after about seven years of craziness and ministry in LA. And I was encouraged by some really close friends to spend the first month not reading a bunch of books, but just having a Bible, having a journal and inviting God to speak into my life. And so I began to journal throughout that whole summer and I began to write down the things that God was revealing to me about my life. And at the end of my sabbatical season, I had this idea, I think it was prompted by God, to put into a list the things I observed about my life into two categories, strengths and weaknesses. And so I went through my journal entries and began to take everything I noticed and I would put some things into the strengths category and other things into the weakness category. And I was actually shocked by what I learned because in the strengths category, it was all about gifting. But in the weakness category, it was all about my character. And then I had this other idea, kind of a terrible idea that I should show this to my wife. <laughs> Because we all know that's the true test, right? So I handed her this list and I said, is this true? And my wife, who's very deeply spiritually mature and also very honest, read this and said, yes, these things are true. And it made me realize that just being in ministry and just doing the work and maybe even, you know, excelling in one area or another does not automatically mean maturity. Friends, let's be honest this morning, just showing up at church does not automatically mean maturity. Just growing older does not automatically mean maturity. Just because we've gone through hard seasons doesn't necessarily mean that you will mature. It's what happens in those seasons. It's what happens through the years that can either work for or against your maturity. It's what happens in our lives. And here's why it matters. This is what I want us to think about this morning. Our present maturity is a sign of where you are headed. And it is also a sign of who you will become along the way. It's a signpost pointing to the the direction that your life will take. For those of you friends who are joining us this morning here in the parking lot, or for those of you online, if you're not yet a Christian, 
What does your life say about where you are headed? Do you know where your life is headed? Do you know what the future holds? Do you know what will happen when you die? Do you know that? For the church, do we know what these present signs about our current maturity mean? Who are we going to become? Are we moving forward or are we moving backwards? Now you might say, well, wait a minute. This is 2020. This is a a year of crisis. And what I've been learning over the last few weeks is that we may be tempted to think that the issues that we read about in the headlines of the news might be more important than everyday maturity. But I would like to suggest today that nothing could be farther from the truth. Maturity matters now. It matters right now. Why talk about marriage In 2020, there's a pandemic going on. There's an election coming up. There's all these things that we're arguing about and debating about. Why are we talking about marriage? Why are we talking about ethics? Why are we talking about parenting? Here's why. Because all of these things shape how you engage with all the rest of the things in life. It's very easy to maybe have the right Christian stance on a very public issue, but your character might be in a very bad state. The way in which you engage with your neighbors when you talk about these issues may not be healthy. You can believe in the right things, but behave the wrong way. And God cares about both. God cares about both mission and maturity. God cares about both breadth and depth. God cares about your convictions. He also cares about your character. God believe, God cares about what you believe in and how you behave. And in this season, which we believe is a harvest season, may it be a harvest of both conversion and character in Ventura County. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're praying into. And I believe that spiritual maturity is actually a secret weapon for this age of anxiety. We must give it our attention. Maturity matters now. And Paul the Apostle, the author of this this letter to a church 2,000 years ago, is concerned that the church is headed in the right direction. And so, here in Ephesians 4, he speaks to us where we are at. And in doing so, we learn that mature people are not born, they are made so. A mature church is not born, it is made so by the gospel. And so Paul here in Ephesians 4 gives us a picture of maturity. And what do we learn? I just want to point out three things. We learn that maturity is practical, it is possible, and it is powerful. And the first lesson is this, maturity, let's take this to heart, maturity is practical. Here in Ephesians 4, Paul's concern is that we live out what we believe. No doubt that's what everyone aspires to, but for the Christian, it is absolutely essential and it does not happen automatically. I mean, how many of us just wake up one morning and your spouse is like, oh my goodness, you're mature. Like yesterday you weren't, but now you are. And you're like, wow, yeah, just, I don't know what happened. It's like this new diet I'm on. I'm like a bastion of maturity now. It just happened overnight and everyone's in awe. It doesn't happen like that. I wish it would, but it doesn't. It takes work. Nor does it happen in isolation. For some of us, this year of disruption has been a season of choice where we choose to engage or disengage. But know this, friends, maturity does not happen in solitude. It happens in community. In fact, I would say this, maturity is a kingdom family project. 
It's something we all work on. I know we're tempted to think maturity is something I work on just by myself, but here's the thing. If you live in solitude and in isolation from other people, you may perceive yourself to be growing in maturity, but you're never really around other people, so you don't really know it's not yet tested. It's in community that we grow in maturity. And that's the picture that Paul is presenting here. He's not just describing an internal experience. He's talking about outward behaviors. It's got to be worked out with other people. So what does maturity look like practically? Well, here are five characteristics. And I want to go through them briefly. First of all, he talks about cultivating humility. What does maturity look like? He says in verse two at the beginning, be completely humble. I love that he says that. Not just partially or subtly humble, but completely. And we know that humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. If pride puts you at the center, humility moves you from the center. Pride looks at what you can get from people. Humility looks at what you can give towards people. How can I bless other people? How can I be a benefit to them? And the beautiful thing about this, friends, as a church, is if, if I consider you above me, then we'll have a church where everyone is looked up to and not looked down upon. And that's what Paul wants for the church. Are we cultivating this? Cultivating humility. Secondly, displaying gentleness. He says, be completely humble and gentle or meek, as some translations say. Now, when Paul says to be gentle, Paul is not telling us to be a doormat. Meekness is not weakness, as the saying goes. It is strength under control. And I think this is so crucial right now, especially in this year, because we're living in a culture of outrage and wrath, where if you say the wrong thing, like you will pay for it, it turns into these explosive arguments. If you don't believe me, just go on Facebook for like a minute. And being gentle means that you engage in these topics, not to win an argument, but to bring healing to a person. Gentleness does not mean to be shy. It doesn't mean that you withdraw from hard conversations. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus wasn't like, hey guys, like, I don't know, can I like talk about this? Like, can I maybe talk about repentance? I don't know, maybe not, maybe later. Like, Jesus doesn't live like that, does he? Gentleness is about engaging in these issues in such a way that will bring healing. Gentleness doesn't mean that we approve wrongdoing or sin, but that we engage with a broken heart longing for healing because we know what it means to be healed. Why? Because Jesus loved us at our worst so we can love others at their worst. Cultivating humility, displaying gentleness. It's not about being weak. In fact, being gentle in 2020 is probably one of the most heroic and courageous things that you can do. If you are prone to being insensitive or maybe overbearing in all of your conversations, we need to work on gentleness. Cultivate humility, display gentleness. Third, practicing patience in verse two. Be patient, he says, 
or literally long-tempered. It means that you make an allowance for the shortcomings of others. It means you anticipate and you know and decide beforehand that it's gonna be hard to engage with the people in church. It's gonna be hard to engage in these conversations with your friends and your family and your neighbors, but you're deciding beforehand that you're not gonna be quick to jump to conclusions. You're gonna suspend your assumptions. And if you're quick to get angry, or write people off or rule them out. What we need is this. We need to practice patience. And like that, fourthly, developing endurance. He says they're bearing with one another. What does maturity look like? It means bearing with one another. Bearing with the faults and the weaknesses or maybe the disagreements that you have on secondary things. Look, we're gonna have those conversations. It could be about politics. It could be about this, that, or the other. There's gonna be disagreements. We expect to counter, to encounter these like personality quirks that just might grate against you. And if you find yourself unable to deal with the weaknesses and shortcomings of others, both inside and outside the church, we need endurance. And above all, as a summary, he says in verse three, showing love. He summarizes this with love, which is really a commitment to all of these practices in verse two. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. This practical maturity will lead to a visible unity. And friends, that's what people need to see in the church. Some of you who are not yet Christians, maybe your biggest criticism of the church is this disparity between belief and behavior. Oh, the Christians, they say one thing, but they do another. But it would be important for you to know, friend, if that's you, that this is the very thing the Bible addresses. Now, if we look at that list, most of us, will, we, would, we would affirm these virtues. We say, yes, patience is great. Endurance is great. You know, all, all of these things I agree with, but we tend to agree with them for other people. Some of you right now are like, oh, yes, I wish these people were more patient. Oh, if these just people would be more, you know, enduring. If these people would just be more humble. Maybe your spouse has already nudged you like, oh, we should listen to this sermon later in the car. But friend, what if it was you? Like me when I was journaling, like God identifying the things in my life where I needed to grow. We all believe in these things, but we tend to believe in them for other people. But what about us? The only way that we're gonna grow is if each one of us takes up the responsibility of practical maturity. Now, if that feels daunting to you, you're in good company because I feel the same way. As a parent, as a husband, I just think like patience, nope. Endurance, not really. Um, I'm like, God, I need to grow in this area. And maybe for some of you, it just feels overwhelming. But that's why you need to hear the second point, friends. Maturity is practical. We need to engage. We need to work on it. It is absolutely vital. But the second point is this. Maturity is possible. It is absolutely possible for every single one of you. If you feel that the odds are against you, that you cannot grow, that you won't mature, or that you won't last, that it feels like growth is against the odds. Friends, listen, the power of God changes the odds. Look, if you ask anyone knowing me, you know, growing up, or maybe even now, I don't, I, I don't know, they're like, could Tim mature? They'd be like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, there's like miracles, like feeding thousands of people, but then there's Tim Chaddock maturity. Like, 
That seems like a miracle. If you're like me, you feel overwhelmed by it, but this is why we need to know that maturity is possible. I love that when the New Testament speaks of how the church is supposed to be, how the church is supposed to function, it assumes all of the challenges. Paul assumes that it's going to be difficult. Paul assumes that there are going to be difficulties within your relationships. It assumes the challenges, and yet he says, against all the odds, you can grow. And if any one of you sitting here or joining us online are thinking, no, not me, you're wrong because the Bible includes you. We can grow. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that spiritual maturity happens Corporately, yes, but it's not all on us. Here's what you need to know. God empowers your growth. God is the one at work, working in you and through you. That's why he says in verse three, four, and five, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Notice that. Paul emphasizes the unity of our faith through a sevenfold use of the term one. We're all built on one foundation. We all have one power source, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. It is this shared faith in Jesus that empowers us to grow. And friends, I want you to hear this. This is why it's so crucial. If you've been a Christian for many years, or if you're not yet a Christian, or if you're struggling to grasp what Christianity is all about, I want you to understand this. New behavior flows from new life, not the other way around. See, many of us, we think that, you know, if I grow and if I mature, God will accept me. God's up in heaven. He's looking down. He's like, well, 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 look who turned up on a Sunday during COVID. That's one step and, you know, 10,000 other steps that you have to take to grow and mature. And then someday I will accept you into my kingdom. That's how many of us have been raised thinking. That's what some of you may still think. You might've been a Christian for years and you think, if I grow, if I grow, if I grow, then God will be pleased with me. Then God will accept me. Then God will delight in me. But friends, that is not true. God grants you the power to grow. You do not mature so that God will accept you. God accepts you so that you can mature. I can know that it's because of Jesus Christ. I'm accepted, therefore I can grow. But so many times in my life, I was working on my own effort thinking, God, I'm just trying to do well as a husband, as a parent, maybe you'll accept me. But I had the wrong posture. I was thinking in the wrong way. Maturity is not based on how hard you try. It's based on who you trust. And God is inviting us to trust in him and his power for your growth. That is why Paul does not tell us to attain unity. He says, maintain unity. Why would he say that? Because unity already exists. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are one. Now live like it. The unity already exists. We need to live into that, grow together. It's a kingdom family project, but we grow in the same way that we receive our gifts. It is by grace. God empowers your growth and God empowers your gifts. That's what he's saying in verses seven through 12. But to each one of us, he says, Grace has been given. Isn't that wonderful? Highlight that, underline it. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
The point Paul is making here is that these gifts are not earned. They are not deserved. They are given as grace gifts from Jesus Christ. And to drive this home, he quotes the book of Psalms, Psalm 68, about God's royal victory and generosity. And he applies it to Jesus. Listen to this. It's powerful. It's like dynamite. He says, this is why it says in verse eight, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except he also descended to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What does that mean? Here's a summary. Jesus Christ, the son of God, is pictured here as the hero who defeated the enemy, ascended to heaven and shares his treasure with us. It's incredible. And those treasures are powerful abilities and spiritual gifts for everyone. A ministry is given to us a summary of a, of a ministry that we can offer to other people. And in verse 11, we're given a summary of leadership gifts, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, leaders in the church who equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the purpose so that we would build each other up so that we can all mature. Friends, we are empowered by God to grow and we help other people to do the same. Gifted leaders, gifted members, all operating in the power of the Holy Spirit under the authority of Scripture. That means no one should feel left out. Every single one of you has a place, a part, and a purpose in God's kingdom family. Your presence matters. And some of you need to hear that this morning. You may have felt as if you've been put on the shelf for a while, not according to God. You may feel as if you've been unused or God, does my presence really matter? And the Holy Spirit says, yes, it does. You have a place, you have a part, you have a purpose. And in a world where abilities of others often create insecurities in ourselves, when we compare and we compete, the church is to be radically different. Our growth comes from God. Our gifts come from God. Maturity is possible because of him. All of our contact with each other is to be like a life-giving resource to one another that promotes health in Christ. And the result, friends, is worth it. That's the third point. Maturity is not only practical. We need to work at it. It's possible because our growth and our gifts come from God. But thirdly, maturity is powerful. This is what we need in 2020. This is what we need going forward. What can we expect as we mature? Well, first of all, you become resilient against lies. So key for our cultural moment. You become resilient against lies. Look at what he says in verse 13. Until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Do you see the connection there? Growing in knowledge and understanding of the truth, why we get together on Sundays, why we gather in community groups, why we equip in the church. It's the diet for our maturity. And as you grow, you build this spiritual immune system that fights against errors and dark and wicked schemes. The contrast is a warning. The young and immature who are easily taken advantage of, scattered, unstable, isolated. Listen, friends, as a warning, but also an encouragement, if you are not growing, you will become vulnerable 
to the lies and half-truths of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that is sobering. But on the other hand, learning the truths of scripture will be like a necessary meal for your soul and you will learn to stand on your own two feet. You become resilient against lies. But more than that, and most of all, and I want us all to take this to heart, you become a reflection of Jesus. It's what we want for the church. It's what we want for our lives. And Paul says it there in verse 15 and 16, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Friends, Paul never loses sight of the main thing, the overarching goal. For Paul, maturity only moves in one direction, and that is Jesus Christ. We all need each other. We need one another's gifts. We need to help each other so that, why? So that we become more like Jesus. And in so doing, he teaches us dependency on him. Every ligament joins together to him who is the head. And we're to continue in maturity until Jesus comes again. And what I want you to see is maturity is never for the sake of maturity. It's all about becoming like Jesus. How wonderful it would be, friends, if this was the goal in this season and in every season, in every part of life. Jesus is the main thing. It doesn't matter what important topic you are dealing with right now, the conversations that you have, our goal is how can I bring Jesus into this? Because listen, evangelism is not about changing the topic. It's about bringing Jesus into the topic. So whatever hot topic you have this week, your question should be, how can I leave this person with Jesus? We may disagree on this topic and that topic and this approach and that approach, but my main goal is to leave them with Jesus. And God, would you help me to become more like Jesus? He is the main thing. And if we lose the main thing, we lose everything. And the evidence of this maturity is love. And where does that love come from? It comes from King Jesus. And I love how Paul paints this picture of Jesus Christ just as a king who would go out to meet the enemy, who threatens to enslave the people. Jesus left his throne in heaven to come and to rescue us from sin, from Satan, from demons and death and from eternal separation from God. It says in this text that Jesus descended from his glory to this world to take the punishment that all of our sin deserves upon the cross, though he was completely and utterly innocent. He paid for it all on the cross. He paid for my sin and your sin. And on the third day, Easter day, Jesus rose again, just as a victorious king would return to his people with all the spoils of battle. Jesus rose again so that we could have the greatest gift of all, which is a relationship with him. And I want us to, amen. Dom said it's like Easter Sunday. Every Sunday we're having to set up. Well, I'd like us to continue that in a theological theme. We should celebrate like every day is Easter Sunday because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. There is a harvest coming and God wants it to be a harvest of both conversion and character. And I want us to think about how we respond. I'm going to invite Brian up now. And I want us to all think about wherever you're at and whoever you're with. I want us all to think about how do we respond in this moment? If these things are true, how am I responding to this? And my first question is to you, if you're not yet a Christian, 
and you're here, maybe some annoying Christian brought you to, to, to church today. And you're like, why am I here? Well, now is the moment I want to speak to you. If you're joining us online, you're not yet a Christian. Somebody sent me the link and bugged you like, watch the link, watch the link. You're like, fine. I'm already on YouTube anyway. I'll watch this. <laughs> Friend, if that's you, I want you to know this. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, died for you. He died for your sin. He rose again to give you new life. And I want to invite us to respond. In a moment, I'm going to even ask you to stand. It's a bold thing to do. But as a preacher told me many, many years ago, when I first became a Christian, I heard the gospel message. I was like, I'm not standing up. I'm not standing up. And the preacher said, swallow your pride and, and accept Jesus Christ. I was like, gulp. And I like stood up I'm like, yes. It's a humbling thing. But look at what God has done for you. He sent his own son for you to die, to rise again. If you want to know today, this morning, in the midst of this crazy year, maybe your life is falling apart and you're thinking, oh, if I just got this new job, if I got my career sorted out, if I just had more money, better relationships. Listen, friends, those are good things, but they will never save you. A good marriage will never save you. A good job will never save you. A good church will never save you. Some of you think that just attending a church service, like, oh, well, I attend, so I'm saved, right? No, friend, a church service doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. And it's you personally saying, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I'm not just acknowledging that you're the savior of those other people. I'm acknowledging today that you are my savior. So friend, if that is you, and if you wanna know that today your sins are forgiven and that you are accepted by God and that you have the hope of eternity, a hope that nothing in this world can ever take from you, I'm gonna invite you to stand right now. If that's you, I'm gonna invite you to stand. If you have fallen away, God bless you. If you have fallen away, I invite you to be bold right now and just stand, make that declaration. Maybe you have known this and I invite you to keep standing. Maybe you have known this, but you've fallen away. You've drifted. I invite you to stand. So some of you are gonna begin a relationship with Jesus today, but some of you need to return. And today is a call to return. If that is you, I invite you to stand, to, like me many years ago, swallow your pride and say, I'm going to stand right now. I want to return to Jesus. I want to return to him. If that's you, just stand up right now, and I want to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I want everyone to join in. Even if you're a mature Christian, I want everyone to join in because in doing so, we are reminded how we become saved. Repeating a prayer does not save you. Trusting Jesus saves you. But this is a prayer that expresses that trust. So I'm gonna have us all say this out loud. For those of you who have fallen away, for those of you online, sitting on your sofa right now, wherever you are, join with me. And everyone, let's say this out loud together, but I'm inviting you especially those of you who do not yet know Jesus and you want to know that you are forgiven. For those of you who have fallen away and you know today is a day of return, say these words from your heart. And let's say all together, every single one of us, repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. I invite you to come into my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and my Savior.
Amen. 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 Friends, those of you who stood, we love you. You can be seated now. We celebrate that. You are family. You are family. And now together we worship as a kingdom family. In this moment as we worship, we're taking a step towards that maturity. We're saying some of you are beginning your journey with Jesus today and we celebrate that. Some of you are returning and the rest of us, we are continuing. And the question I believe God would ask us is, are you all in? Because I was all in for you. I was all in for you. This choice we have right now to lift our voices, to declare praise, to receive prayer, to take communion. These are all choices that matter. It's another step in your growth. Let's not take that for granted. If you need prayer and would like to receive prayer this morning, there are members of the prayer team. They're to my left, your right. And also on this side, they're wearing the the bright colored shirts. I'm colorblind. I think it's green. It looks like aqua. I don't even know. That's why I wear black because I can't tell the difference. Just stand up, be bold, say, I need prayer. And during this time, this is your moment to respond. Go over and pray with them. If you'd like to take communion today, remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that his body was broken for you, blood shed for you so that you could be forgiven. The communion elements are available near the welcome tents. And in the right moment, you can go and you can grab those and you can partake of communion. Friend, if you're watching online, we say that we love you. We're worshiping together. If you want to receive prayer, if you want to know how to receive Jesus, just click that connect with God button. If you're watching from the homepage of the website or click the link in the YouTube description of the video, click that. And there will be people who will connect with you and pray for you. Right now, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And let's just respond and worship. This is a part of our growth. It's this decision we're saying, Jesus, today I want you to put your finger on an area in which you want me to mature. Maybe it's my patience. Maybe it's an issue in my marriage. Maybe it's the way that I'm treating my my children, engaging in evangelism, my neighbors. What area in which does God want to grow you? Let's surrender that area to him now and remember that it is by grace that you are saved and it is by grace that you grow. So let's worship together, amen? Heavenly Father, we do thank you that it is not, you did not say in this text, and Christ gave us works to perform so that we could be accepted by you. That's not what it says. It says that you've given us grace. That grace is found in Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he's done for us all. And I pray that we would be renewed and refreshed right now by grace respond by grace. We just declare together as broken people, we need you. We need you for our growth. We need you for every area in which you want to change. We do not trust in ourselves. We do not trust in ourselves or our ability. We trust in who you are and your ability to do the impossible. And we declare that now as we worship. So Father, may your spirit move as we respond now in Jesus' name. Let's respond now. Let's press in. Let's not hold back. Let us respond to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this moment. Watching the effects of the kingdom of darkness fall away in the name of Jesus being high and lifted up in this place and in our hearts. Let's respond now. Let's press in.